Hello, people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts and actually the last chapter of the book. Uh, so here we are in Acts chapter 28. So if you have your Bible, open to Acts 28. And where we studied last week, you see the tempestuous storm and their shipwrecked and how Paul was used. And Paul was used as uh, like sure footing, you know, like he was a solid, solid, firm ground that the Lord used him. And he was like the beacon of light, like a, a, a lighthouse in a storm. And so we see here in verse 1 of chapter 28, it says, When they had escaped, remember, so everybody shipwrecked. Nobody died. The ship was destroyed, but everybody lived. And it says, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And so when you look on the map, you see, you know, they're, they're, they're going to Italy, Italy uh, and Rome. But you go south of Rome, you get to the tip of the boot, and then you see Sicily. And you go south from Sicily, you see the little stretch of water, and then you see uh, Malta, the little island. And so it's a long time to be tossed from, at sea. Because you look at to, the, to the right of Malta, or east of Malta, and then uh, you see like this big stretch of ocean. And that's all the time where they were tossed to and fro in the sea. And they were scared. They were freaked out. And rightfully so. You know, they were all going to die. And then the Lord gave that assurance to Paul, what we studied last week. And so look what happens here in verse 2. Then it says, And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. And you see here, it's like these natives, you see that they're shown an unusual kindness unto Paul, remember, it's a prison boat. So you have uh, uh, Roman guards there. You have the, uh, uh, um, the, the, the authority figures. You have the, 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 um, uh, the seamen, you know, the, 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 the deckhands. Then you have a bunch of prisoners of whom Paul is one, and Paul was allowed to have visitors. So yeah, I don't know if there was a little uh, uh, contingent of Christians there, uh, but Dr. Luke was surely there. I mean, or he's writing about it or reading his writing. And so this unusual kindness that's shown by the natives, they start a fire, they kindle the fire. And keep in mind, it's like a fall season. When fall comes, what do you see? You know, you see it gets cold out. You know, you have to bust out your jackets. You got to wear your hats or whatever, you know, whatever you do to keep warm, the scarves, you know, no shorts, you wear your pants, you know. Sometimes you can wear shorts, you can get away with it sometimes. But you just see this, the, the seasonal change and you see the, these this unusual kindness and Probably a lot of guys wet, you know. I shouldn't say a lot of guys, if not all guys. Everybody's wet. So it's not only cold, but it's like they've been in the ocean. And so they're wet. And so it's like, okay, let's, let's get them warm. It's unusual kindness. I, I think this is so beautiful because if you've ever been to, uh, you know, you, you're a stranger in a land. And sometimes you're greeted very, very kindly. Sometimes you're shown a lot more kindness than you get at home. You know, and it's, it, it just kind of blows me away because you get a picture of what's happening here. And not just what's happening here, but you see the hand of the Lord, God's favor. God's favor on, on Paul. All these guys were shipwrecked, you know, and, no, and the, the ship's destroyed. Everybody lives. They're cold. You know, they've just gone through the storm. They're wet. And it's like, okay, let's get these guys. Let's take these guys. Let's warm them by the fire. And that's what the locals do. The natives, it's cold out. You know, the, the, it was raining, it's cold, so they start a fire. <clears throat> Verse 3, But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So he a snake bit. He was bit by a snake. Viper is it's a deadly, deadly, uh, deadly snake. 
He's bitten uh, bitten on the hand. And you kind of see this, you know, if you ever go camping, I'm not much of a camper, but I've lived outdoors for a little, you know, I've done my fair share of outdoor living. And, uh, you know, you get into a certain position and, you know, there's critters, creepy crawlers all over the ground, you know, and sometimes you just lay on the ground, you know, you just lay your head on a rock and you take a little cat nap and you're out. But you see little critters, you know, sometimes it's a scorpion, sometimes it's the snakes. And so this, this fire is started and because it's no longer cold, the fire makes everything hot and then boom, the snake starts, comes out of its hiding space and he comes out and then boom, bit Paul. Paul was laying his sticks down. And Paul got it on the hand. In verse 4, So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. You know, I don't know what kind of belief system these natives had. I don't know what gods they prayed to. But I know it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it's very interesting to see. It's like, no doubt this man is a murderer. Maybe they just called it a twist of fate. Maybe they call it a twist of fate or, you know, in accordance to their own gods. You know, here are these, this boat of prisoners, they're shipwrecked. And wow, you know, I don't know what this prisoner did, but, you know, surely he's, you know, this guy's a murderer. No doubt this man is a murderer. Talking about Brother Paul. Whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Remember, Paul's one of many prisoners. Who knows what kind of prisoners there were? Maybe they were, you know, white-collar crime, blue-collar crime. Maybe it's like murder, rape, I don't know. But it's just, you know, a bunch of prisoners. And so these natives, they're showing kindness to, you know, the, the, these uh, shipwrecked people. And then at the same time, you start to see like, okay, the, 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 the viper came out, bit Paul. And so what do you see them doing? You see these natives, they're leaning on their own understanding. Maybe they call it a twist of fate. Maybe in accordance to their belief system, what gods they pray to, they say, oh, surely this guy's a murderer. Look, he doesn't escape. He doesn't escape justice. He thinks he's a free man, but here he's dead. He's a dead man. And look what happens here in verse 5. <clears throat> but he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. A deadly snake. Straight up deadly snake. And it's like no big deal. He shrugged it off. Okay, here. He suffered no harm. He put the creature in the fire. Put the viper in the fire. Very beautiful, you know. Death wears your sting. <laughs> Quite literally too, you know. I mean, you know, from the snake bite, death wears your sting. And I think it's so beautiful what's happening here. Because you see the hand of the Lord on Paul. And how he's how the Lord is providing comfort to all these guys who are shipwrecked. Paul's like a, a, a on a solid foundation, and it's for all to see, all to partake in. There's safety for them because remember he says, "No, you know, don't any of you guys escape. All, every, you know, all of us, all of us. Don't don't none of you guys jump don't jump ship over here and swim this way, swim this way. No, all of us. The ship's gonna be destroyed." But the Lord gave me this assurance. And praise be to the Lord, even when the viper comes. In verse 6 says, However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. You know, when you get snake bit, you have to be very rapid. Very, very fast because the venom travels fast. You know, how you treat, whatever, you know, how you cut, 
how you, you suck out the venom or whatever you do, you know, go to the hospital, whatever it is you have to do if you're out in the bush. If you're living in the bush, you know, there's certain procedures that you have to do. You have to cut, you know, and, you know, some people say you suck out the venom. Some people say don't suck out the venom, but, you know, you cut, you got to, in some cases, you got to take a chunk of skin out, a chunk of flesh out to get the venom before it spreads to the body. And you see this, so they had this expectation, okay, there's going to be swelling, he's going to die. Yeah, he's standing, but I give him three minutes max. And I think it's so interesting how the verse starts. He says, however, they were expecting, they were expecting. You know, I have to say something about the expectation of non-believers. When harm comes to you, as a believer in Christ, you're standing firm on the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ. And you're yielding to Him and unyielding to everything else. You know, somebody says, hey, let's go do crack. Hey, let's go to the strip club. Hey, let's go do this. And you're unyielding to them. But yet you yield to Jesus Christ. You yield to the Holy Spirit. You yield to the Word of God. What is the expectation of non-believers when harm comes your way? Or danger comes your way. And I have to say straight up, sometimes it's those people who want to see you fail. They want to see you fall. They want to see harm come upon you. And sometimes they want to see you dead. It's going to get that way in the last days for the church. The last days saint. That's what it's going to be like. The world will hate you. And I think it's so beautiful to remember these verses because it's like, wow, you know, what the Holy Spirit can do inside of an empty vessel. In an empty vessel and through an empty vessel. As the Holy Spirit fills this empty vessel and then all of a sudden pours out what we're going to see, what, what the Lord does with Paul here. The expectation of these non-believers did not come to pass as they expected it to. It didn't turn out that way. What about those in your circle? What about those around you, your mockers? Those who hate you, those who are carnal, those who are non-believers, who have expectations of your, you know, fill in the blank. Expectations of your suffering. And you might suffer for Jesus Christ, but when you suffer for Jesus Christ, it's you're rejoicing. It's just the complete opposite. They want you to suffer and be like, oh, woe is me. But no, it's like, wow, praise be to the Lord. You know, I'm getting persecuted for, for the name of Jesus Christ. I suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. I remember Peter when he was uh, there arrested and all of a sudden they rejoice. You think like, wow, bummer, you know, I got arrested. I got in trouble by the cops. I did this. I got in trouble with this. And it's like, it's one thing. If you, get, if you go to prison because you're a murderer, that's one thing. Brother Peter writes, don't, don't, don't let that happen. But when you suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ because you're a Christian, rejoice. Rejoice. Because you're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see here in, in, in verse 6, but after they had looked for a long time, so maybe one guy was like, I give him three minutes max, five minutes max, ten minutes max. And notice, you know, they see that he's not swelling up. He hasn't fallen down dead. They, have to, they, they had looked for a long time and, so, and saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, I'm not saying that any one of us should, you know, proclaim to be God. You know, that's, that's blasphemy. Lucifer does that. 
That's what we see in uh, Isaiah 14. That's Lucifer. But what about Christ inside of you? Christ inside of Paul. Remember Jesus Christ says, abide in me and I in you. And, you know, Moses says, be holy. Peter says, be holy. And you say, okay, I'm going to be holy. You abide in Christ. No, period. Abide in me and I in you and Jesus Christ in you. And then at the same time, what's so beautiful here in verse 6, it says they change their minds. So who knows what their belief system was? Maybe they believed in the God, all these Grecian gods. Maybe they believed in Zeus. Maybe they believed in whatever. Maybe they just said, you know, it's just a twist of fate. But who cares? No matter what, they change their minds. Wow, there's something different about this Paul. How come he's not dead? I saw the viper attached to his hand. And I know, you know, the viper attached to my dog, my dog is dead. The viper attached to my donkey, the donkey's dead. And here, the viper attached to Paul's hand, and he's not dead? What in the world? What is this, guys? Wow, there's something different about this guy. What is it? No matter what their belief system was, their minds were changed. And that's what's so beautiful about your witness for Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean your witness for Jesus Christ? Well, look what happens here in, in, in chapter 28. A miracle. One of many miracles in the book of Acts. But you have this miracle that happened. A snake, a viper, straight up bit Paul. He shakes it off and he wasn't harmed at all. And at this particular time, the the, the birth of the church, the church is growing up, the church is blowing up, it's spreading. The name of Jesus Christ is spreading. And what's so interesting, we're going to start to see when we open up the uh, the book of Romans, you're going to start to see Paul has to make correction, writes letters of correction to the churches. Sometimes it's letters of rebuke to the churches. And yes, it's sad, but then at the same time, it's encouraging. Because you see, I mean, like in some cases, just a couple years pass. A couple years pass and maybe even a year passes and Paul has to write a letter to the church. I mean, we're going to see it in the church in Corinth, the church in Roma, we're going to kick off pretty soon. And then you're going to see it in the uh, 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 Thessalonica church, the church in Thessalonica. You're going to see these things. And it's so beautiful because you see the Lord raising up the church. Like brand new, the birth of the church, like they're babies. And then in the course of time, you know, these writings to help them become adults, to help them mature in Christ. And this is just a couple years after the birth of the church. The birth of the church in Corinth, Thessalonica, uh, 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 all these churches. And what about us today? What about you and me today? When we're straight up, not... one year, two years separated from the birth of the church. We're straight up 2,000 years separated from the birth of the church. It places very, very heavy emphasis on sound doctrine. Because if in the course of a year, a church can go astray, if in the course of five years, a church can go astray, If in the course of 15 years, a church can go astray, speaking from Acts to Corinth or Acts to Thessalonica or Acts to Rome, 
How much more is it for the last day's church 2,000 some years, you know, presently counting, give or take a couple years? The Lord could tarry 100 years, another 1,000 years. The Lord could tarry. But at this juncture in time, 2,000 some years later, how much more can we go astray in the absence of sound doctrine and in the power of the Holy Spirit? Very interesting because what happens, you know, it's it, 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 the, the same. Some epistles from this point have already been written. And I have to say something. It's not really a warning, but something I have to say. It's kind of a warning. It's not really pretty what I have to say. But carnality and hypocrisy will blind you to the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to ever forget that. Carnality and hypocrisy will blind you to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the impact of carnality and hypocrisy upon the church. That's my statement. It's not pretty. It's kind of abrasive depending on your position on certain things. Now I'm going to warn you. I'm going to expound upon that. In light of carnality and hypocrisy, what has happened in the church today is that some people fake the Holy Spirit and His power. You see that in, you know, uh, uh, hyper-charismatic churches where they say they're speaking in tongues, but they're not doing it biblically. There's no interpretation. Holy laughter. I mean, there's a lot of craziness happening in the church today. Where, you know, in a church setting, you know, you'll have a pastor say that there's angels, angels in in the sanctuary and they're, they're, they're dropping holy dust on the congregants. That's what they say. Holy dust on the congregants. And you see the church, they're like, you know, all rejoicing, rejoicing and worshiping. And you can actually see the dust falling and you see the dust falling and it's like, it's all manufactured. Like a Hollywood set. You know, like they make it snow on a Hollywood set. And they're saying it's angels. And nobody is in the audience saying, how do you get away with this, pastor? This is unbiblical. And the pastor who does it, no, where are the elders? Now, because of carnality and hypocrisy, a lot of people, what they have to do is they fake the Holy Spirit and His power. And then that's from the ultra-charismatic spectrum. You look at the other side of the spectrum, and a lot of people, what they do is they lie. And they say the Holy Spirit, His, his moving was for another dispensation. It was for 2,000 years ago. It was for the book of Acts. It's not for today. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. You will not find an expiration date on the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit. You won't find it. Both, if if people fake the power of the Holy Spirit and people lie about the power of the Holy Spirit saying it was for 2,000 years ago, both, whether they say the Holy Spirit, whether they fake the Holy Spirit or whether they lie about the Holy Spirit, both are blasphemous to the Holy Spirit and His power. Both. Blasphemy. 
People say, oh, the Holy Spirit, he did that work 2,000 years ago for that dispensation. It's not for today. Well, let me tell you something. When Moses asked of the Lord, who do I say sent me? The Lord didn't say, I was who I was. The Lord did not say that. He said, tell them I am. I am who I am. And because of that, among other things, but because of that chiefly, why in the world do you say that the Holy Spirit was reserved for 2,000 years ago that He was? When He's the one who says, I am. Why? That's what I want to know. Why? There is no expiration date on the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit. You know where you don't see the power of the Holy Spirit? In the carnal and in the hypocrites. That's where you don't see the power. And I'm going to tell you something. I know of missionaries who have drink poison. Missionaries, they go into a village to preach the gospel and teach the good news. And the village, they have a witch there, like a witch doctor. And she gives them poison. Gives them poison to drink. And they didn't know it was poison. They drank it. And then this witch doctor, she starts to laugh. Expecting them to kind of like exactly what's happening here in chapter 28. With the snake bite. Missionaries who drink the poison and they were expected to die. Except they didn't die. The villagers who were in the know, oh, they drank of the, from the witch doctor. They're going to die. But no, the Lord, used, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord used it. The tool that was used to come against these godly missionaries, preaching the good news, these godly messengers, they lived. And how the enemy wanted to use this as a tool, God changed it and used it as a tool to reach others, to show that this witch doctor is crazy and has no power of the Lord, is evil, is demonic, satanic, and how it opened doors for the village to believe the name of Jesus Christ. And Christians, a little church growing in a village. I know these missionaries. I know of healings that have happened. Healings where it's like, you know, uh, elders, they lay hands and you could hear the bones. It wasn't like a chiropractor, you know, you, you, you can hear bones crack. No, they laid hands and they were praying. And I wasn't even a believer at the time. I was just, you know, everybody said, okay, let's pray. And I was like, okay. I was just... Uh, I don't even, I just closed my eyes, you know, and then I kind of like, I had a little eye open to see what was happening, and I closed my eyes again, I didn't want anybody to see me, but I could hear the bones, and it wasn't like a massage job, or, you know, a, a chiropractor job, you know, moving things around, it was just straight up, four guys put their hands on this guy's shoulder, and they just started to pray, and they were elders in the church, and you could hear bones, Cracking, you could see, and then shoulder was healed. Dreams, visions, prayer, people who pray, you know, godly people, men and women, 
who pray and the Lord answers. Immediately. Sometimes it's like immediately. Sometimes the, the prayers are answered before they're even asked of. And, you know, somebody comes, somebody's going to say, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. That was for 2,000 years ago. You know why such people are blind to the power of the Holy Spirit? Because of carnality and because of hypocrisy. They say they're Christians. They say they live a godly lifestyle. But then what do you see in their homes? You see the crack pipe. You see the alcohol. You see the strip clubs. You see the pornography. You see wicked kids. You see the wicked parents. Yeah, they go to church. Yeah, they have their Bibles. But what do you see? What fruit do you see when our Lord tells us, look at the fruit? Where you see carnality and where you see hypocrisy, you won't see the works of the Holy Spirit like you see in the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit needs to work inside a vessel before he can work through a vessel. And rather than a person say, you know what, I repent. I'm carnal. Instead of being like, you know, a Christian in Acts or in 1 Corinthians 5. Instead of being like a Christian in the early part of 1 Corinthians. That yeah, they're carnal. Yeah, they're on milk. And then they're chastised. And then they repent. And then they start to grow again. Rather than repent and grow because of pride, sometimes it's because of doctrine, or is it, you know, I'm of the elect, so I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. I don't need to repent. What happens to the carnality? What happens to the hypocrisy? It goes unchecked, it goes uncorrected. And when it goes uncorrected, what do you see? The Holy Spirit the whole time is trying to work inside that vessel while he's being grieved. It blows me away so much. People make up these excuses because they have no power of the Holy Spirit. They try to fake it. And because they have no power of the Holy Spirit, they make excuses and say, oh, it was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. That's garbage. There are major healings happening now. I have to say, not in the mainline churches. I mean, I can't make a blanket statement and say not in the mainline churches, but where I hear of it happening is in little villages. What's happening in Central America, South America, what's happening in Vietnam, parts of China, you know what the reports that we're able to get from North Korea, Arab countries, Russia, and not in the big mainline churches. Mostly it's like the little tiny fellowships that are out, you know, out in the boonies, out in the mountains, out in the hills. The little tiny villages. That's where I hear of these reports. And when I hear of these reports, it's from godly men, godly women, Christians. Not polluted by, you know, Western culture. Not polluted by, you know, the latest TV show. Have you ever gone to church and people start, you know, hey, did you see the latest TV show? Did you see that? It's like the, no conversation of the Lord. And I know it sounds like it's a heavy indictment, but, you know, I just call it like I see it. 
You know, people are going to say like the, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. They're making an excuse for their own carnality and their own hypocrisy. And they don't want to face the music and say, oh, I'm a carnal Christian. Oh, I'm a hypocrite. So I'm going to fake the power of the Holy Spirit and pretend I'm speaking in tongues. That's what happens. But you know, it's so beautiful because you see what's happening. The Holy Spirit is using Paul. These villagers, or not the villagers, but these natives, might have been villagers, I don't know. But these natives, no matter what their belief system was, whatever it was before, they changed their mind. In verse 6, they saw no harm come to him. They changed their mind and said that he was a God. Not that Paul wanted to be a God, but what about Christ in him? The Son of the Most High inside of him. As he abided in Christ. That's the danger, my friend, of hypocrisy and carnality. Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Don't judge lest you be judged. Don't forget the word judge. When you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, there's three forms of judgment. One of them is crino, one is anacrino, one is diacrino. Crino, we cannot do. You cannot tell a person you're gonna you're 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 going to hell. Like you're burn you're gonna burn in it. Like that's that's it. Like only the Lord can do that. But what you can tell a person is that, you know, if you die without Jesus Christ, you're going to burn in hell. But diacrino and anacrino involve an assessment. You have to make an assessment to make a determination for how to respond. You know, you're driving in a car and then all of a sudden a, 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 a deer comes in, in front of you. Immediately, you have to make an assessment. You have to make a judgment. You have to make a determination. And in, in so doing, you make a judgment call. It says, okay, I'm going to hit the brakes. Okay, I'm going to turn my steering wheel and go around the deer. Because you don't want to you know, hurt those who are you know, traveling with you, your travel companions. Maybe you, know, you don't have money to go get your car fixed if you hit it. So it's like, okay, I'm going to slam the brakes. The brakes. You make these assessments, you make these determinations, and that's where you get anacrino and diacrino. And that's what you have to do as a believer. You have to make these judgment calls. Somebody says, hey, you know what? Yeah, church was awesome. You know, let's go get high tonight. Well, you have to make a judgment. You have to make a determination. You have to make an assessment. And say, no, you know what? I heard the word. I was blessed of the word, the message, you know. I'm growing in Christ. I'm not going to go to the crack pipe. The Lord pulled me out of that lifestyle. He saved me. Don't you? Why Why do you want to go back to the crack pipe? Why do you want to go get high tonight? No, let's come to my place. We're going to have a Bible study. Let's go hang out, you know. Let's just talk. Let's go pray. What has happened? Look at what has happened just five years later, ten years later after the birth of churches in, in Thessalonica and Corinth. I mean, when you look at, read our, our, our studies in, in Thessalonica, and you see how Thessalonica, there was all kinds of just craziness there. But there's this little, little town of Berea. Little, little, little tiny, tiny town called Berea. Containing a certain group of people called Bereans. What did they do? They searched the scriptures. And the craziness that you see in Thessalonica, 
it wasn't in Berea. Why? Because they searched the scriptures. They read their Bibles. What do you see in, you, say, the church? What do you see in homes? You see sex and drugs, pornography, alcoholism, tax cheats, liars, all kinds of carnality. But then where do you see the Bereans? Look at their homes. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. It's going to get worse in the last days. This is like, this is not, what, what you're seeing now is going to get much worse. Much, much worse. That's the danger of carnality and hypocrisy. Because you do not allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you, the Holy Spirit cannot work through you. And if you're a one saved, always person, you know, one saved, always saved kind of person, no, you need to repent. Our Lord Jesus Christ even says to Christians, repent. Read Revelation 2 and 3 to the church in uh, Laodicea. And a whole bunch of different churches saved too. Smyrna and Philadelphia. Everybody says, oh, I'm in the church in Philadelphia. Really? Well, let's look at the fruit. Let me make a judgment call. Don't judge me lest you be judged. No, anacrino, diacrino. Let me make a judgment call. You know why I'm able to do that? Because I've taken the plank out of my own eye. I'm not a crackhead. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a sex freak. And the Lord called me to teach the Bible. I'm telling you, I have the only interest I have in exhorting you and telling you these things. The only interest I have is your soul. I don't care about anything else. But I want you and the majority of listeners, I have no idea. I have no idea who you are. I have no idea. Maybe even on this side of eternity, maybe even highly probable that I'll never, ever meet you. But on the other side of eternity, I tell you these things and sometimes it's harsh because I love you. My interest is your soul and I want you to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want you to hear. If you're a once saved, always saved kind of person, don't be that way. Because you have to repent sometimes. And in some, some ways, a lot of times. When you read your Bible and the Holy Spirit convicts you, you need to repent. Say, Lord, forgive me. And when you come to that fork in the road at a next, your next juncture in life, or junction, I should say, you remember and you say, okay, Lord, you know, I made a mistake once and, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to turn left anymore. I'm just going to stay on this narrow path. That's the life of a believer. Why would Peter, why would Paul exhort the Christians to repent? Why would Jesus Christ tell Christians to repent? The church to repent. If once saved, always saved were true. 
You say, well, this sounds like a works-based salvation. No, it's not works-based. It's obedience. You know, you believe me? Okay, follow me. Obey my commandments. That's what Jesus Christ says. You believe me? Okay. Now follow me. You believe me? Okay. Now obey me. Some people say, okay, you believe me? Okay, yes, Lord, I do. He says, obey me. No, thanks. I'm going to go to my crack pipe. But I believe you. Now follow me. No, thanks. I like my pornography. I like getting drunk. I like doing my alcoholism. I like being a tax cheat. I like doing all these things. No, thanks you, Lord, but I still believe in you. Even the demons believe and tremble. Where's our trembling? Where's our fear of the Lord? And I don't mean to say these things to hurt your feelings, to hurt your little feelers. I want you to grow. I mean, have you ever seen a child? You know, when I was a kid, the, 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 the store went bankrupt already. But it's Toys R Us. And there was a song, you know, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. And when you're a kid, it's like, okay, it's cool. I don't want to grow up. I want to go to the toy store. Sometimes you go to the toy store just to play. You don't even have to buy anything. Go to the toy store and just play. Kind of like how people go to bookstores and read the books, read the magazines. They don't even buy anything. Kind of a similar concept. You go to the toy store, you get to play. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Well, it's fine if you're a five-year-old. Maybe six, seven. Around age eight. You have to cut that out. Start cutting that out. You know, play with the, little, you know, older age group toys. You know, start buying your guns, you know, little fake guns. Nerf guns. And so cool. It's the parent's job to say, hey, no, you know, you're done with it. You're done with your... Uh, whatever toys, your little baby toys. Here you have more toys. And parents say, okay, now you're done with your toys. You know, let's start reading some books. To teach a kid that concept of growth and growing and maturing. And then there's like, you know, the natural world testifies of these things. And since the natural world testifies of these things, why do we not see it in the church to grow and matriculate and mature in Christ? When Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, lay aside those things that hinder you. Some of you ought to be teachers by now. And I don't say this to, you know, sometimes, I'm going to say this, but sometimes I want to say things and it's like, I don't want to hurt anybody, but you know, I'm going to say it. You've been walking with the Lord for 20 years, 30 years. And sometimes, you know, it's like I talk with people. It's like, wow, you've been in the church for your whole life. Wow, praise the Lord. And we start deep talking about deep things. And they don't know. They don't understand. And I don't say this to shame anybody, but sometimes it makes me get mad at the teachers, at the pastors. Why haven't you trained your people? I call that dereliction of duty. I mean, picture a corporal or a sergeant in the military. A staff sergeant, a gunnery sergeant. He has his guys, a group of guys. In garrison, everything's fine and dandy. But in war, you know, 80% casualty rate because every single one of them is untrained, ill-equipped. 
Look at the commanding officers. Dereliction of duty of leadership. They failed to train their men. They failed to equip their men. And now the casualty reports come in and it's high. What about pastors? What about elders in their own dereliction of duty? To train the, train the, uh, the sheep. To equip the sheep. Look what happens here. In verse 7, in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, a magistrate, <clears throat> whose name was Publius, Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days, or uh, hosted us courteously for three days. Wow. Look at the faith. These are like prisoners, a prison boat. Look what's happening. It's like, wow, you know, they're, they're, they get a little campfire. Yeah, they almost died at the ocean, but let's. That's history now. You know, a little campfire, the you know, on dry ground. They're warmed by the fire. And Paul, all of a sudden, you know, Publius, magistrate. Not just any Joe Schmo. Magistrate. They received us and entertained us courteously three days. Now, I don't know if it's the entirety of the, of the uh, 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 prisoners. Uh, me personally, I think it's just Paul. Paul's little entourage of Christians. Maybe a, a guard. Probably the centurion. So beautiful to see the favor of the Lord. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. I don't mean to sound gross in saying this, but you know, dysentery, it's like bloody diarrhea. You know, you have diarrhea and it's like bloody. Well, this guy's sick. Publius is dead. I mean, you know, back in the, like today we have medicines, you call a doctor, you get like, you know, whatever, your electrolytes, restoration, all these things. But back in the day, like, whoa, this is dead. Like people dying of diarrhea, you know, like you, you have diarrhea now. And, you know, I don't mean to sound gross in saying this, but, you know, you can take stuff to help you. But diarrhea, there's like in the third world, somebody has diarrhea. That's like a death sentence. That's what's happening with the dad of Publius. Publius' dad. They sick of a fever and dysentery. You think like, wow, call the doctor. It's the magistrate's dad. Surely he had access to the so-called good doctors. Don't forget, Dr. Luke is there too. But then look what happens here in verse 8. <clears throat> Paul went into him and prayed. And he, lays his, he, he laid his hands on him and healed him. You see? Now, there are people today, and it's growing. You see, like, major calamities happen, you know, and you hear people say, oh, I don't want to hear your thoughts and prayers. Because thoughts and prayers, I want to see actions. I want to see deeds. Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian and you're in the faith, thoughts, not not thoughts, prayers, that is an action. Because you go to the Lord, you go to the throne of the Most High. In the name of Jesus Christ. And you make your prayers and supplications known. The world, they say, oh, thoughts and prayers. I don't want your thoughts and prayers. I need action. I need action. I'm done. I'm tired of thoughts and prayers. You see the mockers of the last days. Satanists demonically led. They say, oh, yeah, your prayers don't work. Your thoughts and prayers don't work. You know what my question is? Who's praying? That's what I want to know. Who's praying? Is it the carnal hypocrites? 
who call themselves Christians? Are they the ones who are praying? The ones who go to church on Sundays, they, you know, open up their Bible, they listen to a sermon. But then they're also tax cheats. They're also going to strip clubs. They're also doing their crack. They're also doing their pornography. Are those the ones who are praying? How is the Holy Spirit going to work through that vessel? When such vessels say, oh, the Holy Spirit, you know, because I'm a hypocrite, because I'm carnal, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore. I would call that borderline idolatry. Because the Holy Spirit isn't in His proper place. It's almost like you're above the Holy Spirit. You're making excuses for your sin. You're making excuses for your carnality, for your hypocrisy, and saying, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't move that way anymore. That was for another dispensation. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not today. It's not for today. It's a strange fire. No, 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 no. No, 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 not at all. Who's praying? You hear these people say, I'm done with your thoughts and prayers. They don't work. Who's praying, my friend? Is it the hypocrites? Is it the carnal? Is it those who regard iniquity? I'm talking about Christians. Is it those who regard iniquity? What about men who deal treacherously with the wife of their youth? If you're a person of faith in Jesus Christ, a Christian, a saint, and you regard iniquity in your heart, you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth, biblically, you know what happens? Your prayers are hindered because of your own hypocrisy and carnal nature. That's the danger of carnality. That's the danger of hypocrisy. And we're going to see this in Paul's writings to the churches. To the church in Rome, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Thessalonica. You're going to see him exhort the pastors. There's no power. And when there's no power, you know what? You're unfit for combat. Unfit for combat. It's a self-inflicted wound, just as we study in the Old Testament. A self-inflicted wound. You say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. But you know what? I don't want to put, up, put, put down my crack pipe. I don't want to put down the bottle. I don't want to put down my pornography. I don't want to put down my strip clubs. You see? I like cheating on my taxes. I get an extra, you know, $5,000. That's stupid. That's foolish thinking. If you're a believer and I'm describing the work of your hands, I want you to know that I love you. More, it's impossible for you to know how much I love you. But I love you and I'm telling you these things. Because you need to repent and get your heart right with the Lord. And when you get your heart right with the Lord, you know what happens? All those holes that are in old wineskin, they start to patch up. 
And then your old wineskin turns into a new wineskin. You're now able to hold new wine biblically. And then the, the Spirit, the Lord, pours in new wine into new wineskin. All of a sudden, you start to pray and boom, answer. Boom, answer. You start to pray and the Lord says, boom, I answered you two days ago. You're like, whoa. <laughs> That's how the Lord works. But when you don't have that, if you want to be old wineskin, that's very, very dangerous. I've been told that, you know, it's I'm overly hardcore. But let me tell you something. I've, I've had it always. I've been a non-believer. I've been cold. I've been warm. And I've been hot. I've tried it all. And there's no other way to live. I tell you the truth. Be hot for Jesus Christ. On fire. White hot for Jesus Christ. There is no other way to live. I've tried it. You want to be lukewarm? I've tried it. I've been down that road. It's a dead end. You want to be cold? I've tried that too. It's a dead end. You want to be a non-believer? I've tried that too. And that is for sure a dead end. Self-inflicted. Believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, that's beautiful. But now obey Him. Abide in Christ. And He in you. So I believe, but I like my crack. I believe I like my sex. That's not abiding in Christ. That's not abiding in Christ at all. Do not be deceived. Now, I've been told that's too hardcore. I have this, my men mentality is too hardcore. And I say this, there's no other way to live. But you know what else I say? If you're in a car, you're crossing a bridge over the Mississippi River, and I'm in the back seat. You're in the driver's seat. And we cross the Mississippi River. And I say, be careful. You're going to drive off the cliff. Where's the cliff? I don't see any cliff. Where's the cliff? It's at the West Coast. It's at the West Coast. It's the cliffs in California, Southern California. Half Moon Bay. You're going to drive off the cliff. You're going to learn. look at me like you get these crazy eyes in your, in your uh, rear view mirror and look at me like you're crazy. And I can understand there's a little craziness there. But what happens when we get to Arizona? I say, oh, be careful. We're almost at the cliffs of Half Moon Bay. You could look in the mirror again and say, man, you're crazy. And you know, you have a point. But what happens? We've already crossed into California. We're on the road and you can see the water. You can see the ocean. And you're getting closer and closer and closer to the cliff. And what if I'm in the backseat screaming like a madman? Hit the brakes, hit the brakes. Now I'm justified because of our proximity to the cliff. That's the last days, my friend. That's the last days. You hear me say these things about, you know, who's praying? When people say, I don't want your thoughts and prayers anymore, your prayers are useless. Maybe the prayers of the saints are useless because of carnality and hypocrisy. Because a guy, a woman uh, 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 has a, a regard for iniquity and the Lord won't hear the prayers. A guy prays, he beats on his wife, he cheats on his wife, he deals treacherously with the wife of his youth. 
Maybe his prayers don't work. Because he's still old wineskin. He likes to beat on his wife, cheat on his wife. You know, go to his old girlfriends on social media. You say, oh, that's gross, that's gross. It's happening. You're right, it is gross. But it's happening. It's in the church. This is a heavy, heavy, hardcore indictment on the church. And I say it with all due respect to the Lord because it's His church. But Brother Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the one who teaches us that judgment comes first in the house of God. My friend, get your heart right with the Lord. You say, oh, I'm a tax cheat. But once saved, always saved. I came to the altar when I was 10 years old, so I'm good to go. No, you're not good to go, my friend. Oh, I came to the altar when I was 15 years old, but you know what? I'm a crackhead now. I'm okay. I'm good to go. You're not good to go, my friend. You need to repent. Acknowledge your sin before the Lord. Repent. Repent. Obey Jesus Christ. Abide in Him. Abide in Him. And He in you. And when you pray, the Lord will answer. The Lord will answer. It's, it's in His timing. I mean, He might answer later down the road. It might be immediate. Sometimes I pray. And I, I say this with no boasting. Who am I going to boast to? I, the majority of people that listen, I don't, even, I don't know who you are. <laughs> who, who am I going to boast to? I, don't, I never ask for your money. Never. Who am I boasting to? My boast is in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I pray. And the Lord answers me immediately. From His Word. Sometimes I pray before going to put my head on the pillow. I pray. I go to sleep. And I'm awake. Not like I wake up like I have to go to the bathroom. But like I wake up like not to turn over, to roll over. I wake up like somebody's like, like, awake, like I'm awakened. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, okay, go to this verse. I open up my Bible, read the verse. Boom, answer right there. I say that without boasting. I'm not boasting. As surely as the Lord lives, I'm not boasting. But when I tell you to put aside your hypocrisy, when I tell you to put aside your carnality, when I tell you to abide in Christ so that Christ can abide in you, I'm not telling you so you can be a robot. I'm telling you so that the Lord can reveal more of Himself to you in your own relationship with Him. can taste and see that the Lord is good. Not bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. Not, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're, we're trapped in these earth suits for the time being. We're trapped in these earth suits. It's, you know, it's something that uh, the Lord is going to keep working with us. And inside of us. I'm not going to say that you're going to be perfect. But I'm also not going to say is, you know, don't stop moving towards perfection. You know, you're in a marathon. You know, I'll say, okay, you're going to trip. You might fall. So therefore, 
don't run in the marathon. I'm not saying that at all. Just the opposite. Yeah, you're going to trip. Yeah, you're going to fall. Yeah, you're going to get tired. You might slow down. You might even walk. You might even stop and get a drink of water. But you know what? Keep going. Keep going. Run your race. Finish well. We're in the last days. It's not a time, you know. If we were in Mississippi crossing the river, you'd be like, okay, you're crazy. We're in Arizona, you're still crazy. We're in California, okay, you're still crazy. We're 50 yards away from the cliff, who's the crazy one? Look at all these things. Publius is dead. He's sick, straight up. I don't. Maybe on his on on the course to death. He has diarrhea and is bloody. He has a fever. He's sick. Doctor Luke is there. Surely the magistrate had access to the best doctors on on the island. But it was Paul who went inside to him, and prayed. Puts his hand on him, and he prays. And he was healed. Publius is dead. Look at who's praying. Not to say Dr. Luke is any any less. Not to you know put stature like that. But there's something different about Paul. You heard me say that a couple chapters ago. And I say it quite often now. He's a different animal. He's not like the average bear. There's something different about him. What's different about you, my friend? I can look at the world and see all kinds of, you know, whatever, gross things. I look at the world, I see the crack. I see the sex. I see the alcohol. I see, the, I see that in the world. But what can be said of you in your home? What can be said of you in your heart? The opposite of the world? Or do you see the world? These are hardcore questions. And the only interest I have is your soul. That's it. Because I want your soul, I want you to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I say these things to equip you. I say these things to train you. All for the Lord's glory, for the work of His, for the ministry that is set before you. Whatever it is. Maybe to be a fisherman. You're a disciple now. Maybe it's so you can be an apostle later. And I don't mean like you, know, you see, oh, I'm apostle, whatever, you know. No, 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 no boasting. Maybe you're a student now and you're going to be a messenger later. You can't fake it with the Lord. You can't. If you try to fake it with the Lord, you're sowing seeds of judgment unto yourself. Oh, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. But we did it in your name. Depart. You can't fake it with the Lord. You can fake it with people. Oh, we do these things in the name of the Lord. And people, oh, yeah, cool, the accolades of men. Look, it's for the Lord. It's in the name of the Lord. But what happens when you're standing before the Lord? You can't fake it with Him. 
So what do I say today on this side of eternity? Don't fake it with him. Be true to the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 9. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Whoa, you see? Look at, you know, this healing of Publius' dad. No more, you know, I don't I mean to sound gross and saying bloody diarrhea, but that's dysentery. He's sick. Who knows how long he's had it? Maybe he's already weak. He's already an old man. I mean, it's sad to see, you know, like, you know, like a 20-year-old uh, who's sick, you know, maybe diarrhea. You know, I don't want to sound gross, but it's part of life, you know. And it's like they're weak, but they can still walk. Then you see like a 80-year-old guy who's sick with diarrhea, whoa, they can't even move. They can't even walk because it just saps them of all their energy. They're, you know, all, everything's gone. Look at Publius' dad, healed by the Lord. Look at the vessel that the Lord used. A different animal. You know what I say? Be a different animal. Be like that. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He has, how the, he teaches the church, he teaches you and me that the Lord has these patterns, you know, cookie cutters. Pattern, you know, to, to match, to, to like, wow, you know, this guy's walking for the Lord. I'm going to be like, I want a, a faith like his. I want to walk like he does. Look at this lady, how awesome she is, her faith. Wow, she's such a prayer warrior. I want to be like that too. And the Lord has all these patterns all over the place. You know why? To help you realize that it's possible. I mean, you read his word, it's like, you know, there's our faith. But don't forget that faith can grow. A measure of faith is given to every man and faith can grow. Let your faith grow. And he uses vessels. Look at what Paul has done to the church. Think of Dr. Luke, how Paul must have been like a little boost for Dr. Luke. And the, the church, the Christians. So I say he's a different animal. He's not like the average bear. And that's my exhortation to you today. Don't be like the average bear. You look at the church, you see all this, all this carnality. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. You know what? Don't do that. You have all these patterns of what not to do. Don't do that. Somebody tells you, oh, I pray, but you know, God doesn't answer me. And then you tell them, well, maybe the Lord wants to answer you. But you know what? He sees your crack. He sees your pornography. He sees that you're a tax cheat. He sees the hypocrisy. Maybe he wants to deal with that first and then use you in whatever capacity. Maybe you'll, you know, turn off all the chaos in your mind of carnality to where you can have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's so powerful when you consider what the Lord can do in one vessel. Look what he did to Philip. And then look at Philip's daughters. Prophetesses. Straight up prophetess. Those his daughters. I don't know anything about his wife. I maybe I can't wait to meet her. I hope she's I hope I do get to meet her. But I don't know anything about Philip's wife. 
I know about Philip. I know about his daughters. But it'd be nice to meet his wife one day. I hope I do get to meet her at the marriage. I hope I do. And I hope I get to meet you too at the marriage. I say these things not to hurt your feelings. If they hurt your feelings, I can't say I'm sorry. I don't want to say I'm sorry. And I don't say that to be mean. But these are things that the Christian must understand and apply in his life, in her life, in a young life, in an old life. Because as wise virgins, we're awaiting the bridegroom. Look at the church today. The last day's church is either false, apostate, or true. That's 30%, 33.3. Look at that, a third. So of all the churches, you take a third. And that's where you want to be. And in that third, chop it down even further. Five are wise, five are foolish. It's a 50% ratio. 50-50. So it's even smaller. That's the remnant. That's the last day's remnant. So choose. Say, oh, that's too hardcore. I don't like how you say it that way. That's too hardcore. Well, when I tell you there's no other way to live, it's really for your safety. I mean, it's for my safety too. <laughs> it's for our safety. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Not a foolish virgin. A wise virgin. And so look what happens here. In verse 10, they also honored us in many ways. Us, remember Dr. Luke is there. They also honored us in many ways. And when we, we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. It's so beautiful here because Paul didn't seek honor. Luke, Dr. Luke, he doesn't, they don't go out seeking honor. It's just the opposite. It's just the exact opposite. Paul doesn't want any accolades of men. But he still receives honor. Not that he desires it. But he's the one who says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. I mean, say for example, if Paul's alive today. Say he's in a he had a time machine back then and here he is today. And you've read his letters. Maybe he writes you letters. Like, wow, I love Paul. And he tells you, you know what? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. You know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He tells you all these things. Why? To pour into you. And as we have these letters, I mean, look at what he's done in the book of Acts. We read Matthew, Galatians, Ephesians. We're going to read more of his writings. And we're going to fall deeper in love with the Lord. But look at the vessel he's using. And say he's in a time machine and all of a sudden... He knocks at your door. You look through the little people. Whoa, no way. It's Paul. Open the door. Oh my goodness, Paul. I love you. Give him a big hug. Look here. Sit down. Put your feet up. Let me make you a meal. You want some coffee? Let me, I'll do this, this. I'm not a, I'm a, some, some things I can cook pretty good. But you know, Paul, let's go out. You know, we're going to have good steak tonight. It's not that he's seeking honor, but he gets honor. Look at, you know, uh, can anything good come of Nazareth? 
In his own hometown, our Lord didn't get honor. But look at the honor he's getting now from the church. The world hates him. Still, you see these uh, protesters now. They have signs, you know, really, really terrible signs, what they say about Jesus Christ. You hear these atheists, you know, if Jesus Christ were to come back again, I'd kill him. They say it because they hate the Lord. And I wonder who in the church body would say, forgive them, Father, because they know not what they do. They know not what they do. Some people say, well, they know what they're doing. I beg to differ. Oh, they hate God. They might hate God, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't even know God. Oh, but they hate God. They've made their choice. Yeah, I, they've made their choice. But even still, they don't know what they're doing. Because nowhere in the Bible will you see hell as like party town. Nowhere in the Bible will you see hell as a sanctuary. Never. You know what it is described as? A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. They know not what they do. They have no idea what they're doing. They might hate God. They might love Satan. They might love their demons. They might love their other gods. They might love this. They might love their sex, drugs, pornography. They might love it all. And they might hate God. In this life. In the life to come. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why I say they know not what they do. You see what's happening here? It's like they honored us in many ways is what's written here in verse 10. And when he departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And this word provided, it's like impose, it's the imposition. Like, have you ever been a guest in somebody's home? And you're like, you know, like you want to like, you you know, you don't want to leave. You love them, but like you have to leave because of obligations you have in this world. Or obligations you have to another Christian or another family or whatever. And you're like, I have to go. But they're like, no, no. Okay, here, take this. You know, take this, take this. You know, extra rolls. You like, did you like the food? Here, take this food. And it's like, you know, like, no, no, no. Like you, That's for you guys. That's for your family. You know, you guys eat that. But they're like forcing it on you. No, you take this. I was in the third world one time. And this lady was poor. So poor. And she was like forcing food on us. Like what? Like that's. That's expensive to her. She's like forcing it. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful woman. I tell you, you know. If I would, t- if I were to tell you. The most beautiful women, the most beautiful men. I don't care about sex. Beautiful men, beautiful women. Okay, these are the most beautiful people I know, male, female, and I have them behind a curtain. I said, okay, you might be thinking, okay, they're gonna be movie stars, they're gonna be this, and then I open the curtain, you'd be like, what? (laughs) You get your eyes checked. 
That's what's so beautiful about a relationship with the Lord. He teaches you what beauty is. He shows you. He shows us. We have all these problems in the church today. Men, they say, wife, you have to look like this. Wives, you say, husband, you got to look like this. You got to work out. You got to do this. You know, you're getting chubby. You know, whatever. Men, husbands who are addicted to pornography and they say, wife, you have to, you know, perform like this. I watch this dirty thing on TV or this dirty thing on the pornography and now you got to perform like this sexually. They don't read their Bibles to understand what an abomination is. They don't read their Bibles to understand what beauty is. And then they pray. Oh, God doesn't answer my prayers. I wonder why. I wonder why. Do you regard iniquity? Well, stop regarding iniquity. Do you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth? Well, cut it out. Repent. Be right with the Lord, just like the Old Testament. Be right with the Lord. And just as in Israel, you see these beautiful passages that we study in Leviticus, how beautiful they are for people to be right with the Lord. Then you get into the minor prophets. It's like, wow, what happened? What happened? Bethel is beautiful in Genesis. Bethel in the Minor Prophets is ugly. What in the world happened? Bethel, house of God. What happened? Carnality, hypocrisy. That's what happened. What about the church? What about the book of Acts? How beautiful this is. And you read Revelation. What happened? You read Revelation 2, Revelation 3. What happened? Carnality, hypocrisy. The Lord has become forgotten in the house of God in Bethel. That's the last days. Just as the Lord told us. Don't slumber. Be on guard. Be on guard. You hear me say, you know, speak about hypocrisy. You hear me speak about carnality. And if there's no power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, because He's trying to work in you, you know what happens? You're unfit for combat. And I don't mean combat in a worldly sense. I mean combat in the spirit. And the last days, the last day saint is required to be combat ready, combat effective, combat equipped. It's a requirement. Not to make any excuse for, you know, previous generations, but even more so for the last days. And so look what happens here in verse 11. 
Verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship who, whose figurehead, kind of like a hood ornament, you know, you see like in the old school ships, they have like these statues in the front. That's what it's like a, a hood ornament for a boat. And that's what happens here with this Alexandrian ship whose figurehead or hood ornament was the twin brothers. Now, the twin brothers here, a uh, 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 diaspora is in the Greek, but in accordance with Greek uh, um, myth- mythology, uh, one is the son of the king of Sparta and the other is the son of Zeus. And they called it the diaspora. It's like the, the, the twin brothers which had wintered in the island. And I make mention of verse 11. Verse 11, you kind of wonder like, wow, why did Dr. Luke write that? But I love how this is here. I love it so much how this is here. Because you see a little picture of the maturity and the knowledge of Paul and Luke together. You know, there's no fuss about this uh, these figureheads, this hood ornament, this boat that's, you know, like a, a, a literal vessel, but named after Dioscore, after these twin brothers in, you know, Zeus and Sparta. Mythology. And I say that because there's, when I say there's no fuss about it, a lot of times as Christians, and I say this to the conscience, Sometimes you, it's possible to have a guilty conscience based on things in the world. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go here. I don't want to step foot in here. And you know, that's, I get that. I understand that. But turn with me really quick. I'll explain this. Turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And look what happens here. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And verse 8 says, But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So it's like, okay, so which is it, Paul? Paul is going to say, none of it. <laughs> There's something deeper going on here. And this is what he says. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? It's like, what is it, Paul? Can I eat it or can I not eat it? What do I do, Paul? Paul says, okay, forget about that. It's much deeper than what you think. You have to see things differently. You cannot have carnal eyes. People say, what do I do? Like a robot. Do I do this or do I go this way? Do I do left or right? Well, you know, remember Jesus at the woman at the well? Or Jesus with the woman at the well? A time is coming and is here now when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not robotic. At all, in any way, shape, or form, it's much deeper. It's much deeper relationship. It's not religion, a love relationship. Paul is saying, forget the food for a moment. He says in verse 11, Because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren, whoa, 
You mean to tell me that when I don't take into account my brother's conscience, when I don't take into account my sister's conscience, and I take all this freedom in my liberty because I have this knowledge, I'm sinning against the brethren? Yes, that's precisely what he means. That's precisely what he's saying. Because you have to think of the other person's conscience. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, it's not to say, oh, you're weak. You have to be strong. Be a tough guy. You're weak. No, that's pride. That's arrogance. It's to say, okay, you're weak. And you know what? I'm going to humble myself. I'm not going to let my pride make you fall. I'm going to humble myself on account of your conscience, on account of my Lord, the shepherd of the flock, the good shepherd. You see? When you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, this is heavy, you sin against Christ. Whoa. That's no joke. That is hardcore. Be very, very careful with your knowledge, be very, very careful with your liberty. You are free to do certain things in Christ. You have, we have an abundance of freedom. Only for your own self, don't let your freedom be a stumbling block as excuse for sin for you. But then for others, don't let your freedom be a stumbling block for the weaker brother, for the weaker sister. Because in so doing, you sin against the brethren, and you sin against Christ. Whoa. Paul says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make another brother stumble. Whoa. Paul is humbling himself. Remember, he's a different bear. He's not like the average bear. He's a completely different animal. You wonder, I wonder why the, old, the, the, the New Testament has a lot of writings of Paul. He's a different bear. He's not like the average bear. People will say, why did Paul, why did Paul write all these letters? How come Peter didn't write as much? Well, Peter's got some in there. And it's not like, you know, like, uh, like he, he, by vote, you know, he got a majority vote. So they, they, they've accepted Paul's letter. No. You know what's so beautiful? The Holy Spirit put it on Paul's heart to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter to the church in Corinth. The Holy Spirit put, a, uh, put it on the heart of Peter. I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to exhort the church. But these men were so dead to self that the very words that came out of their heart, the very words that came out of their heart and down their arm to their hands and to the from the their fingertips, their pen to the parchment, and they were writing these letters, the very thing that came out of their heart was at the heart of the Lord, the heart of God, captured in the canon of Holy Scripture. Different animals. You see? Wow. So be very, very careful with the conscience of another brother, the conscience of another sister. In marriage relationships, you know, husbands, if your wife has, a, you know, a conscience about whatever, 
instead of being arrogant about it, humble yourself. Wife, if you have a if your husband has a conscience about something, instead of you know being prideful and arrogant, humble yourself. Do not sin against your brother. Do not sin against your sister. And do not sin against Jesus Christ. Humble yourself before the Lord. Be like a different bear. Don't be like the average bear. Where there's ruin and rotten fruit. Where there's hypocrisy and carnality. Now... You hear me say that, okay, wife, you know, humble yourself, husband, humble yourself. But, you know, there's some cases when it comes to egregious sin, like Zipporah, when the Lord wanted to kill Moses. And Zipporah was hardcore, bless her heart. She was hardcore. I love that woman, you know, and it's so cool. Look what happens here in going back to Acts 28. And so what happens here in verse 11, we study, it's like, you know, why are you making such a hardcore mention about these twin brothers, the diaspora? Because I'm giving this, this, making this point about the conscience. And keep in mind they were prisoners too, so I don't. Need, they probably didn't have a choice about the boat. But I love how this is captured here, because there's no fuzz. There's no further verses about it. Like, oh, you know, I broke my heart that I had to be on this ship that was, you know, designated to Zeus, another god, an idol. It's the world. The world's the world. The world is perishing. And when you look at the behavior, when you look at the, not only the behaviors of those who perish, when you look at the uh, congregation of those who are perishing, you know what I see? Fish. Fish. You know what that means? Go fishing. The world is ugly. I know it's ugly. You don't, you don't even need me to tell you it's ugly. It's ugly. But that's where the fish are. And God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Look at verse 11 here, or verse 12. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. So now they're like like in Sicily, but on the east side you see uh, uh, Syracuse. And from there we circled around and reached Regium. And so they're in Italy now, like at the tip of the boot. You see Italy is the shape of the boot. And at the tip of the boot you see Regium, or Regium. I don't know how it's pronounced, Regium, Regium. But you see, they're at the tip of the boot. So remember, they're on the way to Rome. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Putioli. And you see, like, wow, that's a big dis- distance. But remember, the south wind, so it's like pushing them. So now they're closer to Rome, about 150 miles away from Rome, where we found brethren. So there's Christians in Putioli. There's a little church body there. We found brethren and, st- and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. You see what happens here, verse 15? And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as uh, as far as Apiforum and three inns. So these are like little rest stops. I mean, have you ever been like on a long drive and you see like little rest stops? And like rest stops, you have like a place where you can eat. You know, some places have like little shower facilities where you can like, you know, rent a little shower facility, clean up and then get on the road again. You know, get some groceries for the, for the, that's what these are, the, the Appy Forum and the Three Inns, they were like little areas where, you know, you can like, little tiny, not towns, but just little tiny storefronts where you can uh, rest and relax before avoid, because remember, like we're so spoiled now, like you go from one town to one town to one town, and you got a Starbucks, you can get a burger, you can get a steak, you can, 
You know, you got everything everywhere nowadays. But like back then, it was like, man, once you leave the certain outskirts of Rome, man, it's a long trek to the next town. And that's what these little, little towns were, you know. It says here, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. This is what he says, he thanked God. It translates in the Greek as Eucharisteo. 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 And I say that because, you know, the Eucharist in accordance with Catholicism, the sacrament of the Eucharist, it's unbiblical. Now, I get what they're doing in accordance with Roman Catholicism, but you see, the Eucharist in accordance with the Bible, it's being thankful unto the Lord. Having a heart that is thankful unto the Lord. That's Eucharist. The Eucharist isn't an outward thing. It's not like, okay, I'm going to partake of the Eucharist. Because biblically, when you partake of the Eucharist, it's not external, it's internal in your heart. Being thankful to the Lord. And if you're a Catholic, I love you. The Lord pulled me out of Catholicism. And I know this is hard because Catholicism is religion. You say, oh, my mom told me, my dad told me, my grandma told me, my grandpa told me. Surely they love you. They, 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 they love me. Yeah, they love you. I'm not denying that. But what if they're wrong? What if, they're, what if they themselves are deceived? They believe the teachings of man in accordance with Roman Catholicism. Let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about the Eucharist, a heart that's thankful to the Lord. Eucharisteo. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. It's to be emboldened. And not courage like encouraged. It's courage to be like to have it like instilled. Like wow, like to be emboldened, encouraged. And I love that so much because you know what that is? You hear me talk about pulpit Christians and pew Christians. A lot of times there's very little regard for the ministry of the flock. The ministry of pew Christians. Say, what do you mean? I don't get it. What do you mean the ministry of the pew Christians? Well, look at Paul, what's happening here when he sees the Christians, the Christian, the brethren. He sees with the, the, the when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as at before him and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God, the Eucharisto, he's th thankful unto the Lord, and he took courage. He was emboldened. That's the ministry of the flock. To understand that, wow. Sacrifice is gain. Sacrifice is gain. Sacrifice of whatever, even your life. You say, I still don't get it. Let me, I'll give you a military example. Say you're a sergeant and you're in garrison and you're in the United States. You're training your men. You're equipping them. You're teaching them. You're pouring into them. And then all of a sudden, a hot zone pops up, and boom, you fly over there. Or say you're on ship, and you're a sergeant, a corporal, and you're teaching your guys, you're pouring into your guys, you're training them, just as you were trained. You're pouring into these guys. And boom, hot zone. All of a sudden, you know, you get on the LCAC, you get on the LCU, and boom, you get on the helicopter, and boom, you're at shore, attack the beach. And you start receiving fire, you return fire. And you're a sergeant, you're a corporal, you have a, you know, all these people under you. You have a platoon of men underneath you. And you're receiving fire, and you're, you're, you're taking fire, and you're giving fire. And then you see one of your guys out of ammo. 
What do you do? As a corporal, as a sergeant, what do you do? Out of ammo. And you have the ammo crate right next to you. And you see one of your guys, maybe, you know, 50 yards out. 20 yards out. He's out of ammo. You know what you do? You get up. You take that ammo crate. You get up and you run to that kid. Because you've equipped him. You've trained him. You've poured into him. He's out of ammo. He has a job to do. And even when it costs your life, who cares? To live is Christ, to die is gain. You get up and you run. I'm going to give you ammo. You know, and you get to the kid, he has his ammo. What if you don't get to the kid? What if you die? That's what I'm talking about. This encourage, this embolden, not encouraging, but this in, instilled, this instilled courage to be emboldened. That's what happens to Paul when he sees the Christians. That's what I mean. The ministry of the flock, the ministry of the pew Christians, because sacrifice becomes gains. A pastor, an elder, a Bible teacher, a deacon, those in church leadership. The sacrifices that they make become gain when they're emboldened by the flock. When they're filled with courage because of the flock. Training and equipping the lambs. Training and equipping the sheep for their own journeys with the Lord. For their own journeys to paradise. For their own journeys to Zion. You see how beautiful this is? The koinonia, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. One body, many parts. Verse 16. Now when we came to Rome, so here they are. Finally in Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Well, this is like, you see, the favor of the Lord. Remember, the whole time Paul's been in submission. Submission to government, even when it's leading him to his death. Submission to Rome. I wonder how many opportunities he was, there was for him to run and flee, be a fugitive. Probably a lot. But no. No, not at all. You see Paul himself in submission. He's not a hypocrite. He tells the church in Rome. Romans 13. He tells them, submit to government. He's, he's doing it himself. He's not a hypocrite. Look at how the Holy Spirit is, has used him in healing. Because there's no hypocrisy in him. Healing ministry. Healing Publius' dad. And not just Publius' dad, all on the island. The rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. What if Paul was a fugitive? He has the opportunity, okay, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm going to run away. He was, maybe, say he beat up a, a, a Roman guard, I'm out of here. I'm going to beat this guy up and I'm going to run. Do you think he'd be able to heal? Publius is dead. Dead. That's the danger of hypocrisy and carnality. Oh, but the Holy Spirit, that was just 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Rubbish. Rubbish. Poppycock. That's garbage. 
You don't find an expiration date on the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Complete and total rubbish. And so look what happens here in verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. This is so crazy. Carnally speaking, this is so crazy. Paul doesn't hate the Jews. He has extreme, extreme love of the Jews, his brethren. You know, brethren of the flesh. He says, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our father, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. Verse 19, this last part, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. You know how hardcore that is? Paul, carnally speaking, had every single right as a Jew and as a Roman citizen to say, you know what, governor, you know what? King Agrippa, the Jews are lying. He could go to Caesar and say, you know what, Caesar? The Jews are lying. But he's not going to play the blame game. He says, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. We studied this. He has everything to accuse the Jews of. They're... A conspiracy to kill him on several occasions. I mean, if you're going to look at this from a, a, a pure aspect of rights, rights as a Roman, even rights as a Jew, he had every right to accuse his nation. You know what Paul is doing here? You know what's revealed, what he's doing? He's letting himself be cheated by the Jews. He's allowing himself to be cheated. Even when it leads to his death in, in appealing to Caesar. When he tells the church in Corinth, there's this beef that arises in the church. He says, let me tell you something different, you guys. Instead of you guys want to go to you know court together, you want to sue this person, sue that person, which is a shame in itself. But why not rather let yourself be cheated? You know how hardcore that is? You know how hardcore that is? Why not rather let yourself be cheated? He says that to the church in Corinth, but he himself is applying it to his own body, to the Jews, letting himself be cheated. He's telling, I'm not going to accuse them of anything, the Jews. You know what that reveals to us even more? He's not a hypocrite. So when he tells the church in Corinth, why not rather let yourself be cheated? Because there's no hypocrisy in him. You see how beautiful this is? How his ministry is still blessing us 2,000 years later? I mean, sometimes people today, they teach the Bible, they preach the Bible, and they're done teaching on a Sunday. And you know what? It's gone. <laughs> there's no power. It's just like you're listening to a, a, a speech. 
There's no power. Something, the, pe- the preacher, the pastor, he says something on Sunday and boom, it's forgotten. You know what? It's, he's a hypocrite. He's carnal. You ever see pastors who, you know, they like, yeah, what a godly man. And then you find out in the news, wow, he's molesting a child. Wow, he's molesting this girl. He's a youth leader and he's molesting this girl. He's having sexual relations with this girl or this little girl, this little boy. And I listen to him preach. With no power, no power whatsoever. The so-called pastor, I call him the wolf. They're done so-called preaching. You know, noon on the Sunday. And it's forgotten, 1201, everything's forgotten. Why? Because there's no power. Paul, he's allowing himself to be cheated here in, in, in Acts 28. We're going to get into 1 Corinthians. And Paul says, why not rather let yourself be cheated? 2,000 some years later, and still counting. We're still being exhorted. It's not like a Sunday job where it's done. No, he's not a hypocrite. He's not carnal, which means what? The power of the Holy Spirit is still working in you and in me. When you read the Bible, why not rather let yourself be cheated? And then all of a sudden, you're wronged in whatever way, shape, or form. You say, you know what? I'm going to let myself be cheated. Wow. You know why? Look at the power. Oh, but that was just for 2,000 years ago. No, God says, I am that I am. Not I was who I was. Why are you going to reserve the Holy Spirit for I was? That's blasphemous. That's blasphemy. You're going to call I am, I was? Blasphemy. Repent. Oh, once saved, always saved. I don't care. Repent. You see? Look what happens here in verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Wow. You see Paul's desperation for Israel to be saved, his countrymen to be saved, his unwavering hope for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Wow. The same Israel that wanted him dead, the same Jews that wanted to kill him. And he says, you know what? I have no beef. I have nothing nothing to, to accuse these guys of. When he had every, you know, a whole list of things to accuse them of. And he says here at the end of verse 20, For the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Wow, he still has hope for these people. The ones that had him punched in the mouth, remember? The ones that conspired to kill him? In their conspiracy, it reminds me of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of our Lord Himself. When He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, Father, forgive them. Of both Jew and Gentile, Jew and Rome. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's what's so beautiful about Paul. Not just Paul, you see, and Peter. There's something different. They're not like the average bear. You see Christ in them. Christ in them. Let me ask you something about yourself. 
Can Christ be seen in you? That's a hardcore question. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. Can Jesus Christ be seen in you? The full Jesus Christ. People say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ can be seen in me. Look at what I do. Look at the works of my hand. Okay, but you know, what's your doctrine like? You you, do grave soaking? You, You do your grave soaking thing? You do your holy laughter stuff? That's a different Jesus, my friend. That's not the Lord of the Bible. Yeah, you do good works. But even the heathen do good works. Look at the Habitat for Humanity. They do good works. Piece of cake. I'm not talking about... I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Can He be seen in you? His love. His truth. His way. Look at Paul. Yeah, he's bold. Yeah, he's hardcore. Yeah, I mean, he straight up says, you know, their mouths must be stopped. People who teach false doctrine. People who teach things contrary to Jesus Christ in the Word. He says their mouths must be stopped. It's like, whoa, that's hardcore. But then at the same time, you see this? The hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Wow, the same Israel that wanted him dead? He says, I have hope for them. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus. I see Jesus in Paul. The love of Jesus. The truth of Jesus. Wow. Can it be said of you? Can Jesus Christ be seen in you? Yeah, truth. You know, speak truth. Be bold. Stand for truth. But then what about the love? What about compassion on those who hate you? What about compassion for those who want you dead? What about for the hope of those who want you dead? The hope of those who beat you? He's a different animal. Let's you and me together Let's be different animals together. You're not alone. Don't bow the knee to Baal. Be like Elijah in these last days. You see this hope that he has for Israel? And there's this theology that is rising in the church. If You know, it's, it's, it's pretty deep about predestination. We're going to study that when you get into the book of Romans. Predestination. People say, oh yeah, God predestines people to hell. God predestines people to heaven. He predestines people to hell. And we're going to study that hardcore. It's not biblically accurate. All through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, what do you see? A choice. A choice needs to be made. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. It's so hardcore when you study scripture, you let the Old Testament interpret the new, the new interpret the old, you get the full counsel of the word of God, and then you see the heart of the Lord, even in the law. Look at our study in Leviticus. Look at all the things that the Lord has shown us thus far, and we're not even done yet. We got a lot to go through the Old Testament. 
We're not even done. The depths. And you know what? We're done with the Old Testament. We're done with the New Testament. We go right back to the beginning. We're going to start fresh. Why? So that we can keep it fresh for your own journeys in your walk with the Lord. And we're going to fight like crazy. We're going to fight like crazy. In the last, together, not together. I mean, together fight. On the same side, on the same team. <laughs> not together. Together, but, you know, in one cause, Jesus Christ. Fighting the good fight. And remember, if you have hypocrisy, if you have carnality, you're unfit for combat. You need to get fit for combat. Be trained. Be equipped. Learn. Matriculate. Mature in Christ. Share the good news. Be fishers. Fishermen. Fisherwomen. Look what happens here. Then they said, remember, he's pleading with the Jews. You know, like when he says, uh, 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 in verse 17, he starts, man and brethren, though I have done nothing uh, against our people. And he explains what happened. And verse 21, it's kind of funny, you know. I mean, all due respect, all due respect to the, the, the Lord and what Paul is going through. But I think it's kind of funny. Because he's like pleading with them. Like, this is what happened in Jerusalem. And you know what? I, I, was, I was wrong, but I didn't come against them. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I called you here because I want to speak to you for the hope of Israel that I'm bound to this chain. Then they said to him in verse 21, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who have came reported or spoken any evil of you. I think that's, that's kind of what Paul's like pouring his heart out. You know, all these things. And they're just like, we have no idea what you're talking about, Paul. <laughs> they didn't know. You know what I love about this? Clean slate. Clean slate. They have no idea. It's like, okay, so clean slate. So now Paul can go in. And so in verse 22, but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, the way that's the sect they're speaking of for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. You see, people don't like Christians of both Jew and Gentile. People don't like the Christians. That's what happens when you stand for Jesus Christ. And our Lord even says, do you remember they hated me first? In verse 23, in closing, it says, So when they, had depart, when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging. Remember, he's like in house arrest. At his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading. This word is two part in the Greek. First part is to pacify. And then the second part is to convince. To pacify and to convince. That's what you can do when you engage when you engage others, you talk to atheists, you talk to whatever liberals, you talk with homosexuals, you talk with lesbians, you talk with whoever, pacify. It's like, okay, you're an atheist. Okay, that's cool. But let me stop you in your tracks. And here's how I'm going to do it. This is what the Bible says. Oh, the Bible's so fake. It says this, this. Oh, tell me where it says that. Oh, it says it here. Okay. It is also written. Let's look here. So I'm going to pacify you. You're pacified. Yeah, you have these arguments, and they're valid arguments, except they're wrong. I understand your situation. I understand what you're saying. Except you're mistaken. You're basing, you're basing your ideology, your thought of atheism, you're basing it on a lie. Because you tell me you're an atheist because of X, Y, Z, but I'm telling you what the Bible says about X, Y, Z. 
So now that you're pacified, now I'm going to go in for the kill. You see? To convince. Praise be to the Lord how He teaches us all these things. Persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Remember when the Pharisees all were of Moses and Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. You're deaf. Moses wrote about me. How can you believe the writings of Moses when Moses wrote about me? Paul, he could hear the law. Not the letter of the law. He knew the letter of the law. And in the letter of the law, he killed Christians. He imprisoned Christians. But now that he's able to hear the law, he has ears to hear. Now he understands the law. He can hear the law and the prophets. And he was persuading them from morning to evening all day. He was a talker, huh? Wow. From morning to evening all day long. Just like, remember a couple chapters ago? How he was teaching all night long? I mean, what happened during the day? Maybe he was making some tents. You think, oh, tired from a hard day's work. That's day work. What was night work? He was just exhorting the Christians. Teaching them more and more and more. All day. All night. And then the kid fell out the window. And then he, he was healed by the Lord. You know, again, another miracle. And then all of a sudden, he go, they go back in their upper room and teaching some more. Until morning. On to the next day. Non-stop. You read the Bible, it's like, wow, does Paul ever sleep? Why, you see, he's just teaching, 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 making his tents, teaching, 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 tents, teaching, teaching, teaching. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Different animal. Not like the average bear. Morning to evening, teaching. In verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. And you know what's so cool about this? You see a picture of Paul, he cast the net out as a fisherman. He cast the net out. He was able to pacify him. Because remember, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. These Jews could have said, oh yeah, well, the Torah says this. Oh yeah, well, you know, Isaiah says this. Uh, uh, Jeremiah says this. You know, they, uh, Moses wrote about this. Yeah, they could make those arguments. But Paul, because he had this knowledge base, because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he knew he was a student of Gamaliel, but then now he's a student of Jesus Christ. Not a student. He wasn't. He's still a student of Jesus Christ. But now he's a messenger of Jesus Christ. He could say, "Okay, yeah, you say that in in Exodus, but it is also written here in Leviticus." Which means, what is the Lord trying to show us? What is our Father showing us? The prophet. They say, "Oh, it was Jeremiah. Says, Isaiah says this." Okay, Isaiah does say that. What does he mean in light of the law? What does he mean in light of, you know, and our fathers, this happened? What does he mean? Do you not hear? Some were persuaded by the things which are spoken and some disbelieved. Verse 25, so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Not just one word, but I might like one series of words, but one point. This is what the point was he was saying. In verse 25, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to the people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Translates as waxed gross and rendered callous. 
hearts have become hard. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. You know what this is? It's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. Just like our Old Testament studies. Self-inflicted. Just like we study today. Self-inflicted. That's what carnality and hypocrisy does. It's self-inflicted. Somebody says, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like he, does, like he did in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that today. No, their hearts are callous. They're blind. They're deaf. God is I am. God isn't I was. That's blasphemy. But the Holy Spirit does. I pray and I'm still sick. I pray and nothing happens. Well, maybe you should cut it out with the pornography. Maybe you should stop beating on your wife. Maybe, maybe you should put the crack pipe down and throw it away. Maybe, maybe you should stop getting high. Maybe you should stop going to those strip clubs. Maybe you should reckon the old man dead. Maybe you should reckon the old woman dead. And maybe you should carry your cross, which is an instrument of death. Never forget that. Jesus Christ carried his cross. And you know where he carried it to? Golgotha. His death. So when you carry your cross, remember what that cross is. It's your death. It's your instrument of death. Reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and being alive in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. No carnality, no hypocrisy. You know, you're going to have issues in life. You're going to have little experiences with the flesh, with carnality, and even hypocrisy. But when you do, repent and learn. Because it's going to come at you all the time. You have to grow. You have to move on to perfection. When the writer of Hebrews says, some of you guys ought to be teachers by now. But no, you guys are like babies. Let that not be said of you. Don't be a baby 10 years from now. Don't be a baby 20 years from now. Don't drink milk 30 years from now. No, you got to eat those spiritual pork chops. And I say pork chops on purpose. You got to eat. And you're going to grow and mature. And then the Lord's going to tap on your heart. Say, you know what? I got, I got a little task for you. That's how he works. And so look what happens here. Still in verse 27, in closing. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Wow. That's the desire of our Lord. He wants, he wants people to be right with him. Why, why is he long-suffering if that were not the case? It is the case. And that is why he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You know why? Because he loves his creation. He loves his creation. And when you reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and you're a new wineskin, the new wine is poured out, you know, be a, be a, 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 take courage. Be emboldened. Because it's like, well, go fishing. Go fishing. I know the world is ugly. 
I know there's this abrasive aspect of entering certain parts of this world that are ugly. But that's where the fish are. And if they die with Jesus Christ, they will perish. And God is long-suffering for them. We have to be very, very careful with our so-called high horses. Get off that horse. And be a fisher of men. Fisher of women, young and old. But before doing that, you have to be, you have to be equipped. Don't forget Satan's a fisherman too. You have to be equipped. People go, oh yeah, I'm going to go minister to these crackheads. And then they become a crackhead. Satan's a fisherman. I'm going to go minister to these, you know, prostitutes. And then all of a sudden they take the bait. Say Satan's a fisherman too. So you have to be equipped. You have to be trained. If you're going to a church where your pastor does not train you, you need to tell him. And if he doesn't change, get a new pastor. We are in the last days. It's not a time to play games. Not a time to play games. I'm not suggesting that 20 years ago it was okay. But it's even amplified more so in the last days. Be equipped for combat. Be fit for combat. In verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. That's a heavy statement to the Jews that he's speaking to. He's saying, you know what, salvation, it's going to be go, it's going to go to the Gentiles now. That's the church age. The church age. And this door of grace in the church age, it's closing. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's going to close. The fullness of the Gentiles, it will come to pass. In the last days, you see here what's written here about, you know, uh, in verse 25, what he says, well, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly. Hey, kind of interesting. <laughs> it tells you a lot about the heart of Paul. I could say the heart of God in Paul. Because he says the Holy Spirit spoke rightly. I mean, like, who, who says that? You know, right did the Holy Spirit say? It's like, what's the Holy Spirit? Why would you even suggest that, you know, that he's right? But I mean, it shows you a lot about the heart of Paul. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, our fathers. And he starts to indicate all these things. They don't hear. They understand. They've grown cold. Their eyes are closed. But now that we're in this church age, verse 28, you know, it's been sent to the Gentiles. Salvation has gone to the Gentiles and they will hear it. But in the last days, you know what? The church is going to be deaf. The church is going to be blind. The church's hearts are going to grow dull. The church is going to be without understanding. It's prophesied. Apostasy in the last days. Apostasy. A defection away from truth. Apostasy. Getting themselves teachers, pastors who will scratch their ears. Tell them what they want to hear. Oh yeah, pastor, I want you to tell me good things. I want to come to church and feel good about myself. I want to beat on my wife and cheat on my wife, do my crack, go to strip clubs, get drunk on alcohol, get all my pornography, do all these different things, and I want to come to church and feel good about myself. That's the last days. No, you know what? The only way you're going to come to church or listen to a message and feel good, the only way 
is when you yield to the Holy Spirit and when you yield to the Word of God. And when you yield to the Holy Spirit, the Lord's going to correct you. The Lord's going to fix you. He's going to put you together supernaturally, spiritually. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the Holy Spirit adding little, you know, brick by brick by brick in his temple. Building something beautiful for his glory. And yeah, you're going to hear messages. You're going to read passages where it's going to be like a knife in your heart. Praise be to the Lord. I read those verses all the time. I read those chapters all the time where it's like, wow, praise the Lord. You turn the page and it's like a knife in your heart. And when the Lord stabs you, it's lovingly. It's not hard. I mean, it, sometimes it hurts depending on the nature of the sin. But I love the Holy Spirit will never stab you in the back. He'll go right for the heart and he'll face you. And I don't mean that in a bad way like he's trying to kill you. But what's happening is your flesh, your carnal nature is being killed. He helps you. He helps you carry your cross. He helps you reckon the old man dead because that's what truth does. It's like a knife in the heart. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have had that road rage. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have thought this. I shouldn't have thought that. People say, you know, like, oh, okay, you need to repent because the works of your hands, the steps of your feet. But when you start repenting for your thoughts, wow, praise the Lord. That's a good, that's like, if you're not there now, get there. When you start repenting for your thoughts. Because a lot of times people say, wow, this guy committed this sin. But hit the rewind button. The sin, that's like way after the thought. You repent for your thoughts. Lord, forgive me. You know what's so beautiful about repenting? It's like you're made new with every moment of repentance. You might have, like, I wish I had a journal of, like, my repenting. Maybe I, I don't wait, you know, I forget it. I don't want that. But I mean, like, back in, the, like, 23, 24 years ago, I don't give or take a couple years, 23 years ago, I was repenting, and they were, like, major Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have dropped that cinder block on that cat guy's face. You know, they were like hardcore. You know, Lord, I shouldn't have, you know, kicked that guy in the mouth while he was already down, you know, with steel-toed boots. And it's like, wow, Lord, forgive me. And like now, it's like, wow, Lord, you know, I shouldn't have thought about saying something that I thought about saying that. It's like, it's so, it's like it becomes so minute. And I don't mean minute, like, to minimize sin, but I mean minute in terms of, wow, Lord, look at the work you've done. Look at what you've done, Lord. It's so beautiful. And so look what happens here. In closing, in verse 29, that was the word that he said. He says in verse 25 when he says, they departed after Paul had said one word. That's what he said. Well did the Holy Spirit speak through Isaiah. It says, it says a lot about Isaiah. The Holy Spirit is speaking through Isaiah, just like the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul, through Peter, through, put your name. I say put your name there because if you're not a hypocrite, if you're not carnal, if you're maturing in Christ, put your name there. Let the Holy Spirit speak to other people through you. Verse 29, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. But you know what's so beautiful about that? Yeah, they had a dispute, but the seeds were planted. The seeds were planted. The persuading had already happened. Verse 23 says, persuading them he, to pacify and to convince. 
That already happened. Persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Some were persuaded, verse 24. Some were persuaded and some disbelieved. The seeds were planted. The seeds were planted. Those who disbelieved, the seeds were planted. Those who believed, praise be to the Lord. Fish, fish become lambs. Fish become lambs. That's what happens in the faith. Fish become lambs. Lambs become sheep. Now you want to get even more hardcore? You hearken to our study in, in Acts 20. Sheep can become wolves. Satanic. Sheep can also become shepherds. So it's like from uh, 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 fish to lamb to sheep. And then from sheep to shepherd. Or from sheep to wolf. Or from shepherd to wolf. That's like the, the little tree of how things happen. Biblically. That's why you need to be equipped and trained. So you can understand. And not just understand for the sake of knowledge. But to understand so you can apply. Love being the greatest gift, remember. But then at the same time, so you can fight. So be a warrior for Christ. A fisherman, yes. But fight. Fight like it's nobody's business, you see. Except that of our Lord. In closing, in verse uh, 30, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Wow, what a beautiful house arrest that he's under. And he's writing letters. The brethren are coming to him. And he's writing letters. Writing letters to churches, to pastors, to home fellowships. In verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Confidence here, all confidence is plainly, openly, blunt, and frank. That's what I love so much about, you know, you teach the Bible, you don't have to use all these big words. You know, people say, oh, that was for that dispensation. What does dispensation mean? Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. That was for that time. Why didn't you just say that? You hear these brainiacs. That was for another dispensation. You're like, okay. You don't want to feel stupid. So like, I don't know what dispensation is, so I'm just going to nod my head. Okay, I don't know what dispensation is, but okay, I'm going to... He went to Bible college, so he knows what he's talking about. Just that, you know, that was for another dispensation. What does dispensation mean? That was for another time period. Just say that. Be, 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 be blunt. Be frank with me. Speak plainly. Don't speak like a, you know, a brainiac, a, a economy professor, economics professor. You see economics professors? They speak, they talk, and it's like, you know, jibber-jabber. But then you talk to like an investor, a real investor who understands the economy. I mean, look at an economy professor's stock portfolio. Look at a, 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 an investor's portfolio. It's like night and day. The professor's broke. That's why he's a professor. <laughs> he's broke. You know, that's why he teaches. So he can pretend that he's smart. But then you look at the investor. It's like, wow, he understands the economy way more than this econ professor. You know, speak, be plain. Speak plainly. Teach the Bible and speak plainly, bluntly, and in truth. And lovingly, of course. Um... And teaching the things which which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Wow. So he's like, he's a prisoner, but he's under house arrest. And he, no one forbidding him. Akolutos is what it is in the Greek. Akolutos. He's speaking 
freely, unhindered. How beautiful this is. Which brings us to our close of the book of Acts. And you know what's so beautiful about this passage? Two years later from this point right here. Yeah, with, some people say four years, but you know, I, I kind of map it out. I say it two. Two years, maybe three. But I say within maybe one and a half to th- four years. He gets his head chopped off. Paul, he gets beheaded. You say, wow, you said that's beautiful. Well, let me tell you. I'll close in the words of beloved Paul. To live is Christ. To die is gain. God bless you guys. I love you guys.